some background on the first passage of Scripture. The king of Aram was very upset with the king of Israel when they were fighting. And every time he tried to set a trap for the king of Israel's army, they would find out about it and they wouldn't get caught in the trap. So the king of Aram started thinking, there's got to be somebody in my crew that's giving information to the king of Israel. There has to be. And one of his aides comes to him and he says this, from 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 12-17. through 17. And if we get the scripture up there, the font might be a little small. That's my fault. Please bear with me. But I'll read it out. One of his servants said, No, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and take him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. I'm pretty sure from scripture, Elisha lived or resided a big chunk of his time near the town of Dothan. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now when the attendant of the man of God had arisen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I wonder what we would see if God would open our spiritual eyes to see the spiritual world for what it is right now. I think it would be amazing. But that's not going to happen. Well, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. There's going to come a time. And it might be sooner than what we think, too. Now, a little bit of background on the second passage of Scripture. This is a very familiar story to anybody who's ever done any time in Sunday school. If you've been in the church for more than five years, I guarantee you, you've heard something about this, this next story. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure Mike shared on something about this in his Grace series just a few weeks ago. The background of the story is this. Joseph was a young man, a devout man of God, and he had dreams. And not only did he have dreams, he was blessed with a spirit of discernment and wisdom where he could interpret dreams. If you had a dream and you came to Joseph, he could pretty much probably tell you by the Lord's grace exactly what your dream was and what it was about. We see a lot of that in the story of Joseph. But he, wasn't, he probably could have used a little bit better tact in relaying this dream to his family. Because his brothers got very upset. The dream that he had was that one day his, his brothers and his, bro, his father were like sheaves and they were going to bow down to him. Well, he told his brothers. His brothers really couldn't stand him to begin with because he was his father's favorite. You know what? You, those of you who have more than one child, you know, you love your kids differently, but it's a bad idea to love one more favorably over the others. It just is. So I'm just saying that, that caused nothing but problems. Having said that, they got mad at him. Of course, some, I think you know the story. They threw him in a well and all that, but I'm going to read this. Genesis chapter 37, verses 11 through 17. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come and I will send you to them. And he said to them, I will go. Then he said to them, go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock. Bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. A man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, what are you looking for? And he said, I am looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. Then the man said to him, they have moved from here, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. 
So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Heavenly Father, I do humbly ask, God, that you would open up the truth of your scriptures and open up the truth of your character and attributes to us. And God, put it deep into our hearts and minds. Take the seed of your word and plant it deep in our hearts. Break up the fallow ground so that seed can go down there and bring up much fruit for your glory. God, I humbly ask that in me first and foremost. God, I humbly ask you would bind my tongue and keep me from saying anything that's not in line with your character, that's not in line with your will, that's not in line with your way, and certainly not in line with your word. Bind it. And God, I pray that no matter what I say in the next few minutes, that your word and your truth would come through it, Lord. Your will be done. God, have your way in Jesus' name. Now, Dothan, I'm going to say this, this little geographical location, I don't know that the location has any significance to these stories whatsoever at all, other than the fact that both of them happened in that location. Now, Dothan, I've researched this up, the guy who first said that phrase that stuck in my heart 20 years ago has traveled to Israel many times, and not, to Jerus not just Jerusalem, but all over the nation. He has very dear friends that are Orthodox Jewish historians and archaeologists, and he goes out on digs with them and all that. And he talks about Dothan. It's still there. He said, in fact, the way he described it, it's a little bitty nothing jerkwater town. I think Rockwood would be more of a town than what this place is. It's just, it's just a little bitty nothing town. But it's still there today. It's about 12 miles north of Samaria in the hills of Gilboa. And today it is known as Tel Dothan, like Tel Aviv, Tel Dothan. In fact, to my knowledge, this very small town the, the, most, the re, most recent of those two passages of Scripture happened about 2,500 years ago. And it's still there. And it was around in the time of Genesis, at least late Genesis, because that's where Joseph was when he went and found his brothers. The word Dothan means, I think this is really interesting, two wells. Both wells are still in existence today. The modern name of one of the wells in this Dothan area reflects the event. It is called Yub Yashuf which means the pit of Joseph. And something I find that's interesting about this, in Connect Group the other night, one of the nights, Jeremiah Johnson, who does the videos and all that of it, he said something that, that I love. I, I'm really into the Bible archaeology. Every single time they turn a spade of dirt over in the Holy Land, they find stuff that confirms the Bible. Don't take my word for it. And I tell you what, don't take the History Channel for, word for it. Because sometimes, and sometimes it's good, but sometimes they get off in left field about this. But you can really go research this. I can give you some names like F.F. F. Bruce. He was a Bible archaeologist that went over there. I'm telling you, every time they do a major excavation over there, just like Jeremiah Johnson said, he went on a dig with them over there, and two or three of these guys were atheists. And they had five historical books with them when they went out there looking. And you know what those books were? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. This book is based on facts. Now it's still faith. You have to put your faith in it, of course, but it's a faith that is an intelligent faith, and this book has stood the test of time. Everybody I've ever read about that came up that decided they were going to shut this down, guess what? They're gone, and it's still here. It's still the biggest selling book in the history of the world. Even in this day and age. I tell you something that you're not going to see on mainstream media, but like in the Muslim world right now, there's more Muslims coming to know Jesus and having access to the Bible because of the internet than in the history of the church. 
We might be declining as a church in the United States, but in other areas of the world that you think are not Christian, the gospel is spreading like wildfire. That's a tangent, sorry about that, but it's an important tangent, I think. Yub Yushuf, which means the pit of Joseph, it's still there. Which, by the way, Rusty, you don't have to worry about bringing this up, but I'm just going to say it. If you're called to minister in any kind of way, and that's all of us really, because no matter what it is, you have a calling and you should be doing it. But having said that, the word pit for the preacher stand, or for anybody called to ministry stands for preacher in training. Remember that. You're going to go through the pit sometimes. I don't know if Dothan has any spiritual, scriptural significance to it other than it draws these two stories together. And having said that, from these stories, we see seemingly two different types of intervention on the part of Almighty God. With the one, it's an eye-opening miracle that defies the laws of physics as we know them, and we see immediate relief for the men of God that are in the midst of this trial and test. Which, by the way, that one where Elisha and his servant are surrounded, they send 50 men up at a time to basically apprehend him. It doesn't work out too well for them. They get, I think the first set of them get blinded. You'd have to read the story, but it's there. The next set gets slain, and then the third group comes up there, and the leader is very humble and says to Elisha, please don't kill us, we have families, etc. It doesn't work out to them. It's immediate relief from Almighty God. He delivered them from that situation and out of it, like in no time, in the flash, in the moment. Now the second story, we see a very young man of God betrayed by his own blood family, rejected, mistreated beyond what the norm of us could even imagine or have experienced, and basically exiled into seeming oblivion. We see two contrasting interventions from God there. Now with Joseph, we know that down the road, he is going to see miraculous intervention on the part of God. We know that. But I'm telling you, I don't know if we know exactly from Scripture, maybe Mrs. Schaefer could help me with this, it's at least a decade from the time he gets sold into slavery or sold into Egypt before he starts really seeing those miracles unfold. It might even be as much as two decades, 20 years. So we see instant, immediate, miraculous intervention on the part of God, and on the other side we see patience, learning, rejection, suffering, sorrow. Both of these men are devout men of God. Both of these men have committed their hearts and souls to the Lord. Both of these men have heard from the Lord. So it poses a question, and I want to present to you, which is it? Does God offer us immediate relief from our situations? Immediate miraculous intervention? Immediate, I'm going to deliver you of that? Or is it time and patience and suffering that we must go through before we see it? Help me out. I'm asking you the question. Which is it? Both. I think that's absolutely correct. I've seen times when we prayed for stuff, and it's happened. Miracles. And I've seen times where, oh my Lord, God, are you ever going to bring, are you ever going to bring some breakthrough in this? Because I don't know what's going to happen if you don't work in this. It's both. And God is sovereign. And if we love Him, we have to accept the fact that He can do with us whatever He wants. Now I will say this, He is our Father and we are His children. He is not a child abuser. No matter what we might have to go through, 
It'll be worth it in the end. I'm convinced of that. Now, it's easy for me to make a statement like that when I'm warm and wealthy, or I'm not wealthy, but you know what I'm saying, I'm happy and contented and my world's not caving in on me right now. It's easy for me to say that. And it's a lot harder when you're, you're the one whose chili is cooking and you're in the middle of it and everything's falling in on you. You're like, God, what, how are we going to get through this? I shared this last night and one of the ladies came up to me and she shared one of her stories with me that just blew my mind. And she said that for a long time, like a two or three year period, there was not enough money coming in. She didn't know how the light bill was going to be paid. She didn't know how she's going to put food on the table for her kids. And you know what? It's 20 something years later, 30 years later, she's still here. God comes through. He doesn't come through the way we necessarily want Him to sometimes. He doesn't come through in the speed that we would like Him to sometimes. But He is sovereign. He knows what He's doing. He's not a child abuser. So I'm going I'm to finish with this. Five things. Five things. The, what we need to do with our own doth and determination. What I think we need to do with it. Which before I get into that, let me say this. I'm a shade tree historian of American military history. A lot of you know that. I've read so much, and every time I have the privilege of talking to a veteran, I, I take it serious. Especially, when, you know what? You give it another two or three years, there will not be a World War II veteran left to speak of. They're, they're virtually not now. But I, I treasure the chance every time I get to talk to any of these guys. And you know what? I, I have a special place in my heart, especially for Vietnam veterans. There have been young men and women who love Jesus, that are devoted to Jesus, who have families devoted to Jesus, praying for them every second while they're in a hostile situation and they still end up dead. I don't know why that is. I don't, we can speculate as to why it is. We have all of our Christianese pat answers for why God does that. But at the end of the day, I don't think we really know. And I don't think it's our responsibility to really know. Why is it that some young people die and some go on and lead long, healthy, full lives? I don't know. And I hear some say, well, you know, for the ones that survive, the ones that go on, God just had a plan for them on that. So did God not have a plan for the others? Of course He did. But He's sovereign. And a lot, I tell you what, a lot of the suffering that happens in the world, we want to blame God and point our finger at Him, but it's our responsibility. We ate the fruit. We opened it up. We made it a sin-cursed earth. We, we are born and raised in sin where we make decisions that affect it. And I've heard people say before, well, if God was really there and He really loved, why does He allow all this suffering in the world? And I pose a question back to them. What are you doing to alleviate any of the suffering in the world? Do you give to any of the people that feed the children in Africa that are starving? They just want to use it as to blame God for something. You know what? I'll tell you this, and I'm just as responsible. I'm pointing the fingers at me. The church is guilty of not doing its job. Because if the church was doing our job, there would no, be no need for welfare in this country. There'd be no problems with the people starving in other places of the world. Now, I know we've got, we've got tons of responsibilities we've got to worry about ourselves. But are we really giving of ourselves? Are we really at least praying for these situations? Or do we just get contented in our own walk with the Lord and we're not worried about these things? But the church as a whole has really not been doing its job. Now, I will say this. I personally believe this particular congregation goes above and beyond. I'm not just saying that because I'm a member here. I'm not just saying that because the church lets me preach here when Pastor Mike's not around. I'm saying it because it's a fact. I don't know how many times somebody 
come through the door and say, I don't know how I'm going to get my kids fed. And we'll take a collection. I don't know how many times we have done that stuff as a church, but I think we could do more. But we're one church out of how many in town, and are there other churches? I'm not trying to judge them and praise us, but there are other churches doing these things. The church as a whole, we need to be doing more. We should have been doing more. The Great Commission in the last 2,000 years seems to have been the Great Omission. Five things that we need to do with our own doth and determination. What are we going to do in the midst of it? Whether we're seeing immediate relief, miracles on the part of the Lord, or if we're seeing we got to go through the pit and prison and rejection. What do we do? Number one, if you're a true Christian, you need to understand you are His. Now, that's a double-sided coin on that. That's a, one of these times, if Pastor Mike would ever let me, I'd really like to do a teaching that I heard years ago about the paradox or the balance of truth. In the Christian life, there's two sides to every principle. Truth is a coin with two sides. Excuse me. Most things in the Christian walk, you see this. Like, for example, there's nothing you could pay for your salvation. Amen? There's nothing you can do to earn it. However, if you have truly given your heart and life to the Lord, it will cost you everything. God is going to kick in those doors eventually that you want to hold on. I'm reserving this for me, Lord. We might not say that, but I'm telling you what, in our souls we do it. I've been the worst of it. But He's not going to let us get away from that forever. Sooner or later, He's going to come knocking on that door. Hey, we're cleaning this room out. How many of you can relate to what I'm saying? Or is it just me? It will cost you everything if you're really going to follow Him. And he'll be patient. You don't want to give up that room? Okay. We'll work on that. But we're probably not going on to a room you want to get cleaned out and deal with until we deal with this one. It happens in God's order of service, not ours. And here's a news flash about being his. We don't just ask Jesus into our heart to be our Savior. That's, that seems like what American Christianity has become. We want God to be our Savior. We want the blessing. We want the abundance. We want fire insurance to escape hell. We want all these things. But God, I don't know about this whole Lordship thing. We ask Him to be Lord also. We give up the throne of our hearts and we say, Jesus, You come sit on it because You can do a better job. He's not just Lord, He's Savior. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you have made a decision for Jesus that just limits Him as Savior and not Lord... I'm not saying you're lost, but I'm telling you, you really need to let the Lord evaluate that and get that under the blood. All of us need to do that. And it's not something that just happens once. We need to be doing that on a regular basis. Lord, are you really Lord of my life? It's not comfortable, but if we ask Him, will you show me areas that I'm not yielding to your Lordship? I think He's going to show us. That's been my experience. I don't know about you all. Number two. We have to submit to the fact of His sovereignty. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. The world and those who dwell in it, it's His. Part about becoming a Christian, when we surrender to Him, we're actually just giving back to Him what's already His. He can do with us what He wants. But He's a perfect gentleman. He doesn't force Himself on us. Submit. Number three, determine in your own heart the truth. His way is always best. It might not seem like it. It might seem like pain. It might seem like suffering. It might seem like, God, there's no way that you're responsible for this. This cannot be you. This has to be the enemy. Sometimes it is the enemy. And sometimes, read the book of Job. 
God is not a respecter of persons. If he allowed it to happen to Job, he might allow it to happen to Chris Mathis. Jesus is our great example. If Jesus had to go through it, there's a very good... We, the title Christian means Christ-like, right? We might have to go to a cross too, literal and figurative. Mike, last summer, or two, yeah, I'm sure it was last summer when we were out at Cole Park, preached a message on this, and it's something that I'd, I'd heard years before that in my quiet time, and it's a fact. We have it in our head because it's bad theology that's been taught that God will not allow you any kind of burden that's beyond your strength. And I present to you, that's not the Word of God. What the Word of God says is He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but allow it a way out for that. But when it comes to being burdened beyond your strength, read the first chapter of 2 Corinthians. Paul, the greatest evangelist in the history of the church that saw divine miracles of provision all the time. He says in there that in one place where they were, he said, I don't want you to be unaware that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Burdened excessively beyond our strength. I'm going to tell you right now, there are probably going to be times when God, not the enemy, God is going to allow us to be burdened excessively beyond what we can do. Why? So we'll break down and be humble and say, God, you've got to take this because I can't do it. Can anybody bear witness with what I'm saying? I tell you what, there's a lot of things that get said from pulpits sometimes that not necessarily this pulpit, but I'm telling you, there's been things that have been said in the history of the church that doesn't line up really with the Word of God. God's not going to put on you more than what you can bear. I don't believe that's true. He's not going to put on you more than what He can bear. But what we can bear, I'm telling you, that's, that's a huge chunk of the Christian walk as being humble and being broken before Him and saying, Lord... Uh, uh, was it Carrie Underwood that had that song a few years ago? I loved it. Jesus, Take the Wheel. That's a great song. I do a very poor job of driving it. Number four, know this. You're not home yet. Thank God we're not home yet. Now, I want every one of you, I want me and I want every one of you to be living in the blessing and abundance that the Holy Spirit provides in the New Testament Christian life. I do want you to live in that, but I tell you what, none of us need to get complacent in this life. We're not home yet. Don't get content with where we're at. We need to be looking for that city set on a hill. We need to be looking for that nation that God has created in the heavenlies that's there for us. And you know what? When it comes to people, well, did He have a plan for them too? Maybe His plan was for them to be in glory. And I tell you what, if we could see our loved ones that are there now, we wouldn't want them coming back to this crap hole. It's a fact. We're not home yet. This is not where we're, this is not the destination. Heaven is the hope. Now, again, there's a balance in that. We don't just live with this pie in the sky attitude. Well, I'm going to kick back on my laurels because I got fire insurance and I know I'm going to glory when it's all over. We're supposed to work until he comes. We have to be here representing the Lord Jesus Christ maybe for the next thousand years as a church. I don't think it's going to be. I think He's coming to get us pretty quick. I don't think you can turn on the news without hearing a voice from the Holy Spirit in the back of your head saying, you better be ready. Get ready. We're not home yet. Years ago, I read a book that had this in the phrase, and I had a phrase like this in it, that said, we are in our training time for our reigning time. Don't forget that. This is training. This is preparation. It'll all be worth it over there. 
we have this image of heaven when we think about it that's kind of cloudy and vague. It's foggy. We don't really know what to expect. We can only imagine. But I'm telling you, when we're there, all this is going to be what's fat, cloudy, and foggy. All this is going to be what's confusing. We'll have a memory of it. It'll be there, but I think it's going to be vague and distant. It's going to be so much more magnified there. Now, we don't know. Eye is not seen. Ear is not heard. Nor has it entered into the heart of man or women what He has prepared for those that love Him. He built all this in seven days. He's been working on our home there for 2,000 years. You see where I'm going with this? I think we'll die of excitement for a couple of times when we get there and see it. But He'll resurrect us. I don't know. Just saying. There's a reason why we've had all these old hymns in the church that have been standards. Do you guys know the song, Everybody Will Be Happy Over There? Did we ever sing that? Everybody will be happy, will be happy over there. Have we ever sang that here? Not a long time. That's a great song. How about this? When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. How about, oh, when the saints go marching in. Lord, I want to be in that number. In the sweet by and by. There's a reason that these songs are written. There's a reason that we sing them. I think I missed part five. That's okay. Yep, that's it. I'm going to stop right there. Oh, here it is right here. As long, This is it. Finishing up right here, I promise you. As long as your present body is still drawing breath, you don't give up. You keep on keeping on. We don't give up. We're not home yet and we're still here. We're still His representatives. And I tell you, He's going to see us through it. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever you've been through, He's going to see us through it. Don't give up. He's still using you. Life is not like a baseball game. It's not three strikes and you're out. There is still always something you can do. No matter how bleak things look. What's some of the things you can do when, you're, when everything's caving down around you? Let's hear some examples. What can you do? Pray. What else? Trust. Praising. These are all great things. Seems to me I read somewhere in the Bible, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks. And let me say this about joy, which is a fact in the Bible. Joy is not necessarily an emotion. It's great to feel that emotion, but joy is a choice. It's hard choice sometimes. But I tell you what, more and more when I get in those times, I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, Chris, stop pouting, stop whining, stop worrying, and start praising me. God, I don't want to. Because to be honest, sometimes it feels good to pout and whine be in self-pity. Feels better than what we're going through, but you know what? We don't need to be doing it. It's not productive. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this time and I do ask that Your Word would go down deep into our hearts, Lord, on this and the principle. God, that You would make a doth and determination in all of our hearts that regardless of what we see You do, we're going to trust in You and stay the course. We're going to choose. We're going to choose as far as our responsibility goes to keep our eyes fixed on You. Now, I would like everybody, if you would, just for one more minute to have your head bowed, eyes closed, and I'm going to ask you this. If you feel like, this is going to be two parts, if you feel like your world is caving in and you don't see light at the end of the tunnel, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so we can pray for you. If that's you, raise your hand. Your world's caving in and you don't know how you're going to get through it. 
God bless you. God bless you. Heavenly Father, minister to these people as only you can. And God, bring their brothers and sisters in the faith alongside them to get their shields up and to interlock with them and to carry them through. And God, for others of us that don't want to submit to people helping us out, God, give us grace to be humble and broken and to receive that gift, to receive the kindness of our brothers and sisters. And the second thing is this. If you're in a situation where you've never really submitted to Jesus being Lord of your life, you've asked Him in to be Savior, but you've not really submitted to Lord, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so we can pray with you. And I understand this. You can never give anything to God that He's not going to give back bigger and better. You cannot give Him. So if you've never really surrendered, you've surrendered to Him being Savior, you've asked Him to come in, but you've never really submitted to Him being Lord, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so we can pray. God bless you. God bless you. Heavenly Father, you see the hearts that have been submitted in this. And Lord, I ask, you would forgive us in all ways we've erred against you in thought, word, or deed. And God, you would open up our hearts and you come in and you sit on the throne completely. And God, that we would walk in faith that whatever we do, we're submitted to you in the process. God, throw up the roadblocks as we know you will and guide us in the right way. And God, let us all understand that there's no condemnation in you. There's grace. But God, you want us to walk in a high bearing with you, Lord. God, I humbly ask that you would bless all of us in this congregation. Everybody that's not here this morning, everybody that's on Facebook watching, bless Pastor Mike and Pam, bless Ridge and Lake. And God, be with them as they make this transition. And I ask that you would really hedge up Mike and Pam as they experience this empty nest time, Lord. God, give them grace in the midst of it. And God, I do humbly ask you to raise up young men and women in the church to fill in these capacities that, the, of, the, of the gap that's left with Ridge gone. And Lord, I also ask that if there's any of us in this church that's not committed to helping out in ministry, God, you'd stir us up to submit to that, surrender, and do the right thing. God, we humbly ask all these things in the everlasting name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Everybody, thank you much for your attendance, your patience, and your... Your, what's on board I'm looking for? Your attentiveness. There you go. I didn't go too long, okay? God bless you.